Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, we're wrapping up Shark Week by helping you learn about how huge Megalodon really was. Then we'll test your podcast knowledge with this month's edition of the Curiosity Challenge Trivia Game. You'll also learn about what might cause some people to have a severe hatred of sounds. Let's satisfy and challenge some curiosity. Megalodons are truly the darlings of Shark Week. These things are huge and mysterious and very much extinct. They could grow up to 50 feet or 15 meters long, way bigger than any other species of predatory shark. So how'd they pull it off? Well, new research suggests the secret may have been cannibalism. Of their siblings, while in the womb. Yeah, pretty weird. Megalodon went extinct about 3 million years ago. Researchers don't know that much about them because they're not very well preserved in the fossil record. The main reason is that their bodies were made mostly of cartilage, not bone, and that doesn't preserve very well. Luckily for us, some skeletal remains have survived. And we're talking teeth, skulls, and vertebrae, or bones of the spine. And because, like all sharks, Megalodon constantly lost and regrew its teeth, its massive human hand-sized chompers are one of the main sources of evidence that researchers have used to determine the creature's size. But the new research into how the creatures managed to grow so large come from fossilized vertebrae. This one came from a megalodon that lived about 15 million years ago, whose remains were found in Belgium in the 1860s. Researchers think the shark in question died at 46 years old. And they think that because sharks grow a new layer of tissue on their vertebrae each year, sort of like a tree. You might remember we talked about that on a recent episode. And that's good news for researchers because it offers a reliable way to track an individual's growth over the course of its life. And the scientists took what they knew about development in living sharks to interpret the growth rings. What they concluded is pretty amazing. The shark was two meters, or about six and a half feet, at birth. That means it was taller than most humans before it was even born, including me. How could a fetal megalodon have grown so large? Well, researchers have previously guessed the ocean giants were warm-blooded. But this new evidence supports another theory. Maybe the first individuals to hatch inside the mother's womb got a head start on life by feeding on their siblings. Here's how that might have worked. Sharks give birth to live young, but the babies do most of their development inside of eggs that hatch before birth. The vertebrae fossils the researchers studied tell the story of a megalodon that got a lot of high-quality protein very, very early in its life. The idea the megalodon grew so big because it ate its siblings in the womb might sound pretty wild, but it's actually not much of a surprise for shark scientists. And that's because living relatives of the megalodon do the same thing. Siblings really are the worst. It's time for the Curiosity Challenge. Every month, I call up a listener and I put them to the test by asking them three questions about stories we ran on Curiosity Daily in the previous month. For this Curiosity Challenge, I talked to Fifi in Accra, Ghana, in West Africa. Have a listen. Do you have like a favorite topic that we've covered? 
Uh, I don't think I have a favorite, but the the ones on um, self help, I I feel like they really get to me. Like I I've implemented a few of them. So yeah, for example, um, this one: if you are upset, check if you are hungry. If you are angry or if you are tired. Yes, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I use that one all the yes, time. Hold, hold, hold. Yeah. Yes, hold. I do use that one. Yes, I use that one quite a bit in my daily routine. Nice. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. All right. Well, Fifi, you want to start trivia? You all ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. All right. Let's do this. I'll do my best. (laughs) All right. There's no winners, no losers, just, you know, bragging rights. Sure, sure. (laughs) Question number one, then. Scientists studied the physics of skipping stones across a lake in order to improve what? A, baseball pitches, B, boat aerodynamics, or C, spacecraft landing? Uh, this was a uh, spacecraft landing. So I remember they spoke about how the surface of the water can be likened to uh, an atmosphere. So how the angle you would have to tilt the aircraft in. So yeah, I'll go for C. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they, they actually simulated a skipping stone to make it so that uh, they could figure out better ways to land spacecraft. You're totally right. Let's do uh, number two. Yeah. Why did scientists raise baby bats in a helium-rich environment? Was it A, to raise the pitch of their echolocation chirps, B, to see if they'd adjust to a faster speed of sound, or C, to see if they'd grow faster? The answer is B, to see if they'll adjust to a change in the speed of sound. That's right. Yes, they did it to increase the speed of sound so that they could see whether the bats would use their sight or their echolocation to judge the distance. And they never were able to adjust to the faster speed of sound. They always missed their target, which is amazing. All right, you got two for two. So here's the last one. Let's see how you do. According to a recent guest, what's the most common thing that people overlook when trying to improve something? A, asking for help, B, taking things away, or C, learning what's been done before. So these are things that they don't do when they're trying to improve something. The answer to that one is B, taking things away. That is right, yes. Yeah, human beings are used to adding things in a bid to improve, and sometimes removing things can actually be the solution to that. That's right. Yeah. And we just, we always ignore that. We always ignore that we can take things away. Yeah. Well, great. You got all three correct, Fifi. Good job. Nice. (laughs) Thank you so much, Fifi. It was great to have you on Trivia and hope you keep listening. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me too. I will continue this. I'll continue putting everybody I know on to Curiosity Daily. And you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Oh, thanks so much. Man, we have had a streak of perfect scores lately. I gotta step up my game, make this thing a little bit harder. How did you do? If you'd like to play next month, or if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, shoot us an email at curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Some people truly hate certain sounds. The sound of someone chewing gum or breathing loudly can send some people into a rage or make them flee the room. This is called misophonia, and neuroscientists just discovered something surprising about how it works in the brain. 
And misophonia is pretty common. Anywhere from 6 to 20% of people have some sounds they just can't stand. Up until now, doctors and researchers have thought of it as a sound processing disorder. But a new study suggests that it's not just about sound processing. It may also come down to a super sensitive connection between the brain's hearing center and its motor region. To come to this conclusion, researchers recruited participants with and without misophonia and played sounds for them while conducting brain scans. Some sounds were the participants' trigger sounds, and others were neutral. The hearing centers in all of the participants' brains responded to the sounds in about the same way, whether they had misophonia or not. But researchers noticed a difference in how the motor control areas responded to sounds in people with misophonia. When they heard trigger sounds, there was strong communication between their brain's hearing centers and the parts of the brain that control the movement of the face and mouth and throat. That connection wasn't activated when those people heard neutral sounds. This connection is part of what scientists call the mirror system. We sometimes process other people's actions by activating those parts of our own brains in a similar way. Our brains can help us understand other people's behavior by showing us what their behavior feels like. The theory is that people with misophonia have an involuntary overactivation of the mirror system when someone around them makes a trigger sound. That mirror system response is uncomfortable. It makes people feel like the sounds around them are intruding on their bodies outside of their control. To regain a sense of control, some people with misophonia find it helpful to mimic the action that causes the sound. So if you're triggered by the sound of, say, chewing gum, it might help to also make a chewing movement with your mouth. Interestingly, the researchers found similar supersensitivity between the visual and motor regions of the brain in people with misophonia. That led them to conclude that misophonia could be visual as well as auditory. This research could bring a shift to therapies for misophonia. Lots of the existing treatments focus on sound and sound processing, but in the future, they could also incorporate the visual and motor parts of the brain. Here's a sneak peek at what you'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Next week, you'll learn about how you can extract DNA from strawberries in your own kitchen, a surprising way shopping online can keep you healthier, how to combat revenge bedtime procrastination, why pineapples eat you back, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Well, we learned that the Megalodon was gigantic, sometimes nearly as long as the trailer of a semi-truck, and it might have gotten that way by eating its siblings while still in the womb. One reason why shark research may not be for the faint of heart. Yeah, we did a whole story last Shark Week on how baby sharks will eat each other in the womb. It's pretty morbid, but seems to just be the way it works in a lot of shark species. I mean, when you have live births and the babies that you give birth to have all those teeth, I mean, something bad's going to happen, right? Animals, man. It's a, it's a rough world out there. Yeah. And hey, if you didn't get enough Shark Week from us... And you've already checked out all the specials on Discovery Plus. There's actually a podcast called Shark Week's Daily Bite, hosted by marine biologist Luke Tipple. You can listen to the Daily Bite podcast to hear him interview some of the top shark experts in the world about their adventures with the biggest predators in the ocean. 
So check out Shark Week's Daily Bite podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll put a link to that in today's show notes. Yeah, definitely check it out. And we learned that people with misophonia or a severe hatred of certain sounds might have an oversensitive connection between their brain's sound center and their motor center. Their brains may involuntarily mirror the action making the sound, and that can make them feel uncomfortable and out of control. One way to ease that feeling might be to actually mirror the action, like moving your jaw in response to someone chewing gum. See, I just see this as more evidence that you should just talk about pro wrestling more often, Ashley. Oh, like because you talk about it so much, so then I can mimic that and feel feel better about it? Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. I'm not sure it works that way. It might. <laughs> Only one way to do it. I don't want to take that risk. <laughs> <laughs> Today's writers were Grant Curran and Kelsey Donk. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. Thanks for your help with the podcast awards. We love winning things. And then join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.